This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Good morning again. All right, let's get our Bibles out. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 7, and we're going to be finishing up our series uh, this morning that we have called Risk Takers. And what we are talking about in this series is that we don't want to be the museum keepers of our lives. In other words, all of our, our best days are behind us and we're afraid to do anything else. But what we need to do in life is to realize that God is moving us forward and look at the opportunities that we're faced with and the problems that show up in our lives. We need to face those without fear and then to take a risk to solve those problems. Now, I'm not talking about being foolish with risks like on high buildings or some crazy thing like that, that some video you might see on YouTube with kids. Have ever, anyone ever seen these videos? If you haven't seen them, go to YouTube this afternoon and just look like people like will walk on the edge of really tall buildings like with a selfie stick to prove that they did it. I'm not talking about that in this series. I'm not talking about being foolish. But we want to take good positive risks, God-informed risks um, in our lives. And what we could see here in the story that we're about to read, that there's these group of guys that are outside of the city in the time of the prophet Elisha. And he prophesies about some change in economy that's going to be happening. And then there's these guys outside the city. And the scripture gives us a little bit of insight um, to their lives. So we can read it here in Second Kings chapter 7, verse 3 says this. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here? Until we die. If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over into the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So these guys are in this two options they got. We're going to stay here. We're most likely going to die. If we go to the city, we'll probably die. But we might go, we might live or we might die. These, these guys have like two options in life right now. And they're kind of living this very menial existence. Now, we know that the story goes and continues on that God actually blesses them. But the idea that we're talking about in this series is that it is a risk to do nothing. It is a risk to sit back and be afraid. It is a risk to sit back and let your problems overcome you. It is a risk just to be apathetic and to be lazy. Here are these guys. Well, if we stay here, we die, we go there. But at least something might happen if we move forward. Now, when we think about our lives, um, it, it's very difficult sometimes to think about the future. And then we try to think, you know, sometimes five years down the road. And what is my life going to look like exactly five years? And we, we pray, God, show me what my life is going to look like. But God doesn't lead us in leaps and bounds. He leads us with steps. And what we can't guarantee five years from now, um, exactly what life might look like, we can guarantee our attitude and our actions in the meantime. Because there's somewhere that we want to get to in life. And what I can guarantee is regardless of the circumstances that I can have a certain type of attitude. I don't have to let the circumstances, which will be negative sometimes, to be dictating my attitude. And then also the actions that I'm taking. I can always be choosing my actions and not just sitting 
and doing nothing or being lazy or not making any choices, sitting outside of the city, as it were, just waiting to die. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 1 says, Send your grain across the seas and in time profits will flow back to you, but divide your investments among many places. For you do not know what risks might lie ahead. When the clouds are heavy and the rains come down, whether a tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. And if they watch every cloud, they never harvest. So these verses are telling us, you know, sometimes we are waiting for the perfect set of circumstances to do anything. And if the circumstances are perfect, I won't do anything. And then if we... If we're waiting for circumstances to be perfect, two things aren't going to happen. We're never going to plant a seed, the illustration, as it relates to a farmer. But then you're also never going to have a harvest if we just live afraid, if we just live outside of the city, if we never do anything. So there's two intentional things that we need to do. We need to take a risk to plant a seed because we actually want to experience a harvest in our future. Why not be intentional about the harvest that we're going to experience in our future based off the seeds that we choose to sow? But it's a terrible risk just to think, well, I'll just wait. I'll wait for everything to be perfect in my life. I'll I'll wait for the economy to be perfect. I'll just wait for, for my wife to treat me exactly correct. I'll just wait for everybody in the world just to say the perfect words to me that I want to hear to make me feel good about myself. And then when I have all of those things, then I will actually do something with my life. No, if we're waiting the circumstances to be perfect, we're not going to do anything. And if we don't do anything, if we don't plant any seeds, we're never going to reap a harvest. But we have to take a risk to plant those seeds to experience the harvest that we want to harvest. So in this series, we talked a little bit the first week. Um, we talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they experience pressure. And there's a little bit what we're discussing in this whole series that there is going to be pressure in life. There's going to be difficult times and we need to know ahead of time what seeds we're going to be planting or what type of harvest that we want to experience. Because when the pressure comes, it's very easy to get off track. And we saw with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were threatened with, okay, if you don't serve our gods, we're going to throw you in the fire. And that's the first commitment for all of us, that we should actually realize that God deserves, God is the only one that deserves the throne of my life. But pressure will come sometimes and my thoughts will show up and everything will happen in my life to get God off of the throne of my life. But if we know ahead of time that I'm committed to God, that I'm committed to being a follower of Jesus, that pressure will not get me off of that. Family, people, who are the people that I'm committed to in life? Because why? In the context of relationships, pressure is going to come and it is going to be difficult. And if we don't decide... Ahead of time, who I'm committed to, who are the people that God has placed in my life. When circumstances are difficult and the pressure shows up, it's very easy to jump out of relationships. We're going to be talking about this today. What are the purposes of God for my life? Who has God created me to be? And then a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, convictions of integrity. Being an honest person, being a truth teller. Sometimes we feel like it might be easier to tell a lie, but it's always better in the long run to tell the truth. But when we tell the truth, not everybody likes it. 
and it doesn't always get us into perfect circumstances when we tell the truth. But it is always a better truth, a better idea to tell the truth. It's a terrible risk to take to tell a bunch of lies. It's a much better risk to take to tell the truth. And then last week we talked about being problem solvers. But the idea being that God has gone ahead of us and he's won the battles before we get there. So if you missed any of those messages, you can catch up online through our, our church website, through our podcast, and then also through our church app. So we're going to be talking today about the purposes of God for your life and for my life. And as I've been saying every week, for me, I know the purposes of God for my life are to be a husband, to be a dad, and to be a pastor. And everything, literally everything in my life is an offshoot of those three things. All of my time, all of my resources, all of my efforts, all, all of everything that I'm doing has to do with one of those three things. The, and it's good to know what the purposes of God for your life are. Because why? Because the pressure is going to come. And it's going to be difficult sometime. And we don't want to get off track with our lives. So we should want to discover this big question who am I and then what am I here for? The big question of existence. The big question for me as a human. Uh, what am I here for? See, and if we don't answer this question in the context of our relationship with God, the culture will offer us something. The culture will offer us someone to be. And generally speaking, because of the culture that we live in, it will be some version of a selfish consumer. Because that is the culture that we live in. And so if we allow those things to be dictated, the purposes of my life have to go beyond just, you know, going to the grocery store, although that's important to do because you got to feed the kids, right? But are, are the purposes of God for me just to buy things and then to pay off a mortgage and then to die? Is that the only purposes of God for me? Or are there, is there greater meaning beyond just the small experiences of life? Is there purpose beyond all of that for me as an individual? Because once again, we need to answer that in the context of our relationship with God. Because culture is constantly changing and culture is constantly telling us who to be and what to think. So we want to talk about this notion for all of us this morning. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So what am I here for? What are the purposes of God for my life? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So God is making preparation or has made preparation for us and for our lives. So the big discussion here that we're going to be seeing is just sort of this idea of the natural man versus the spiritual man. In other words, deciphering what my life is all about, just about what's presented to me from the world. Or figuring out from God, what has God prepared for me. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have 
not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things that are freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. The natural person doesn't accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So in other words, there's, there's two different thoughts going on. There's a little bit of a mystery going on with God. But then the understanding is the spirit of God is actually on the inside of us. And then we can just look at natural things or we can decide something based on spiritual things. And then the end of what we just read there, but I have the mind of Christ. In other words, I can think the thoughts of God for my life. And what I would say about everybody that this is a journey. You're, you're most likely when you're 15 or 16, you're not going to know exactly all of the purposes of God for your life. And I know for me, I didn't have it, definitely didn't have it figured out when I was a teenager. And then, you know, maybe I'm 49 now. And so in my 20s, you know, thinking about a lot of different things and, you know, trying to understand the things. You're on a journey with God. You're on a journey as an individual. You're growing up and you're maturing. And then, you know, a measure of confusion in your 30s. And then here I am, 49. I already told you what the purposes of God. And these are the things for me forever. Now, but I wasn't always here. I wasn't always, and when I say here, I don't mean physically here. I just mean uh, mentally and emotionally and spiritually here. Because one of the things for me, when I was a teenager, I didn't want to be my dad. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I didn't want to be my dad. I mean, there's a couple, I don't actually know what it, it's like to exist in a woman's brain. But I know for men, when you are a teenage boy... You are God's gift to the world. Do you know what I'm saying? God threw away the mold. He made you. Perfection has been achieved. And then you look at your dad and your dad is not that. He is imperfect in so many ways. And he doesn't understand what's cool today. And he's so deficient. And look at the clothes he's wearing. And look at his hair. And oh my gosh. And there's another thing. When I was a teenager... I hated church. I'm not overstating that. I hated church. Hated it. You know what I'm saying? It was like, it's like, it was un I wasn't going to be there. I had exit plans. Do you know what I'm saying? I didn't want to be my dad. And so this is uh, my journey. I mean, I, this, I don't, I could take a long time to tell the whole story. You know, and so I had a lot of things to work through, and we all have things to work through. We got to work through some selfishness. We got to work through what the world is telling us to do. We got to, am I actually, am I actually going to do what I feel like God is telling me to do? See, and one of the things that I, I think what those of us that are maybe a little bit older, I'm not claiming old yet, I'm just a little bit older, and, and this is what I would say to all the young people in the room. That God's plans for you are the best plans. 
Something you could imagine on your own or something that the world would offer to you is not better than what God would have for you, what God has prepared for you. So all of us should desire this. God, I want to have the mind of God for me, for my life. Because ultimately, this is where satisfaction is going to come from. Me being satisfied with my existence. Me being satisfied with who God has called me to be and what God wants me to do. Those things will be intertwined. So we're going to look at a story here in the Old Testament about a guy who didn't know who he was. And he really struggled with his identity. And his name is Jacob. And Jacob was Abraham's grandson. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Isaac and Rebekah, they had these two sons and they were twins, Jacob and Esau. And and right from the time uh, they were in the womb, the scripture says that they were fighting in the womb. And then when they came out, Jacob was holding, uh, they were, so Esau came out first and then Jacob came out afterwards and he was holding his brother's heel. And this is actually what Jacob means. It means heel grabber. And that's why we call someone who's a bad guy a heel based on Jacob. It means someone who's tripping somebody else up, subplanter. And his whole life struggle is that he wanted to be his brother. He wanted to be the firstborn. And so for so many years, he was struggling with his identity. Let's read a, a story here in Genesis chapter 25 about Jacob. Genesis 25, verse 27, it says, The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. So, two brothers, twins, but very different. Verse 28, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, there's things in the Bible that are there to show you what not to do. So here is some good parenting advice in the negative. This is not good for parents to do. Oh, like you're my favorite, but your you know, brother or sister is not a fan. Like this is not a good thing for parents to do. And this is an example of one of those things. So we had parents. One loved one and one loved the other. So Rebecca's favorite, the mom's favorite was Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Verse 31, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Jacob is saying, I want to be you, Esau. I wanted to be the firstborn. But I'm not going to give you this food. And when I, you know, the, the thing for you to get some food, you got to sell me. Your birthright. Verse 32. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is this birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. He swore an oath to him, selling him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So we see something here in the story of these two brothers. One of them wanted to be somebody else, wanted to be his brother. And this is one of the ditches that we can fall in in life, that I want to be somebody else. I want to be my sibling, or I want to be like so-and-so. I wish that I had this person's life. 
I wish that I had this person's gifts and talents. Sort of the grass is always greener mentality. I, w- I wish that I was in, th- I wish I grew up in that family. Because look at that family, they don't have any problems. I like what somebody said, you know, about the grass is always greener. In someone else's yard, the problem is you just can't smell the poop from here. <laughs> Everybody's got stuff. Everybody's got issues. So Jacob want, wanted to be somebody else. But then on the other side, Esau didn't actually care. He's like, what good is my birthright to me? What is it good? What good is it to be the firstborn? And in the context of this culture, it was very important to be the firstborn. Because you were charged with taking care of the family after the dad passed away. So like, what does it matter who I am? Here, take it. And both things are a problem. You don't want to disregard who God has made you to be and not think it's important. It is actually important. It's really important. The gifts and talents that you have are not there by mistake. They are there to fulfill the purposes of God. Don't disregard it. Don't think it's not important. God has given you those things in 2019 to make a difference. He's given you those things for a purpose. But then also don't be like Jacob. I I wish I was somebody else. Because if you spend your your life wishing you were somebody else, you'll never actually discover the purpose of God for you. Who has God made you to be? So the stories continue about their lives and Isaac is getting older, and at the time, uh, close to his death, what they would do in this culture is they would bring all the children in, and, and then the father would bless everybody. So Isaac sends Esau out to sort of make his favorite meal. And Rebekah hears that this is the plan, that, that Isaac is going to bless Esau. And so Rebekah, having Jacob as her favorite, concocts a plan as to get um, Isaac to bless Jacob instead. Like I said, this is a really dysfunctional family. Now, one of the things that we know about these two guys is that Esau was like a hairy guy. And Jacob wasn't. So one of the things they did, they went and got animal skins. And they put it on Jacob's arms to deceive Isaac. So we'll read here uh, the story in Genesis 32. So, sorry, Genesis 27. So, verse 18 says, So he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. Jacob is having some identity issues. Wanted to be his brother. I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as I told you now. Sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly? My son answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. He is just lying through his teeth. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near me that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Isaac should have gone with your first thoughts. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's. So he blessed him. He said, you are really, are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. 
Then he said, bring it near to me. And he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. So Jacob was able to steal the blessing of his father. And then Esau came back in and realized Jacob had done this. And so they had, you know, terrible family relationship for a really long time. And eventually they were able to reconcile. And then eventually Jacob had this experience with God that we're just going to read about. And it's the experience that we either say that he was wrestling with God or he was wrestling with an angel. And it's very interesting what is asked of Jacob here in Genesis 32, verse 22. It says, The same night he arose and took his two wives, two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Verse 23, He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then the angel, verse 27, and he asked him, what is your name? In other words, Jacob, who are you? Because you keep wanting to be your brother. You keep wanting to be somebody else. So much so that you're deceiving and lying about it. You've never come to terms with who God has actually made you to be. What is your name, he asked. And he said, Jacob. Finally, he is accepting who God has made him to be. And it took a while and it was a long journey. And on this journey, he finally realized he didn't actually need to be his brother. Who God had made him to be was important and had purpose. So Jacob gets to this part of his life and he finally admits his name. And then verse 28 says, and then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. (laughs) We're going to change your name. Why? Because you're no longer a heel grabber. You're no longer a supplanter. You're no someone who's treacherous and doing all of these things to your brother. You come on this journey and you've had this experience with God. You've been wrestling with God and you've come to terms with who God has made you to be. He said, well, you're not going to be this guy anymore. You're not going to be this person. But he said, and then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. That you've journeyed to figure out who you are. And see, this is true for all of us. We will all discover truly who we are, and who God has purposed us to be in the context of our relationship with God. Not just what, what Jacob wanted or who Jacob wanted to be or he wanted to be his brother or something that he could imagine that was better. But he finally accepted who God had made him to be. And then here we have Israel, the name Israel. See, and the same is true for us. That we, if we have a gospel-centered identity, we will discover who we are In God, that we are forever loved and accepted because of Jesus. 
And then we are forever, forever humbled because we only have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us. So in the context of this amazing, wonderful relationship that comes only as a gift, that God receives us and then he accepts us, but then he doesn't leave us here. He doesn't let us remain the same. We are constantly transformed and changed into his image. So the question is for all of us, who has God created us to be? And like I said, there might be different clarity on different parts of your journey. But I, th- I thought of a way this morning that could that help us all a little bit to know that we can grow in these areas. So I have... So everybody, you are a tennis ball this morning. All right? So you are this ball. So what do we know about a tennis ball? That a tennis ball has some potential, and so do you. But if the only thing that we ever did with this tennis ball was to roll it, would we get all of the potential out of this ball? What do we have to do? We actually have to use it maybe on the tennis court, and then we actually have to bounce it. Because there is some potential energy here in this ball. And then what do we have to do? We have to take the risk and use it. And then we want to use it for the purposes of God. So what I've done is I've written a few things here on some of these tennis balls. And the first thing that I wrote is God. That all of us should want to grow our relationship with God. Our, Our relationship with God should not look like this. made it to heaven. (laughs) And then nothing happened along the way that I was never actually used for the purposes of God. It's like, you know, and and your potential, what could it be? How how much can we actually know God? Do, Do we think that I completely understand the infinite eternal God already completely today? Or, or does my relationship with God look like this? I'll go to church when the weather is nice. And if it's convenient. And I'll, I'll read my Bible when I feel like it. And I'll pray when I don't fall asleep at night. Or could we be a little bit more intentional? Could we sow some better seed? Could we think, you know what, I'm actually going to make some time every day to spend some time in the Word of God and pray. And then what could happen with our relationship with God when we take a risk and we do something? I'm going to do this every day for a year. And then five years from now, where am I at with my relationship with God? And then five years after that, where am I at with my relationship with God? And then when you get to be my dad's age, the roof, we're going to hit the roof. (laughs) So who is in here today? Before you got here this morning and you thought to yourself, well, you know what? I really need to step up in my relationship with God. I really need to step up with my sort of time with God or, or some prayer time. I have a tennis ball for you. Is anybody in the room? All right, my friend, right here. 
Okay, so we were five for six in the first service for drop balls. Five people caught it. The six was actually my fault. It was a little girl. I didn't want to hit her in the head, so I shorted the throw. But we got you got to represent for second service, all right? So you're going to stand up for me. You're going to catch this ball. No, you don't come up. We're throwing. We're tossing. We're going to have balls in church. We might as well throw. You know what I mean? All right, here we go. Hey. This one says gifts that you have innate gifts and talents that God has given you. You didn't create yourself. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And if we're made by God, he's made something in us. So what could we do with our gifts and talents? Who could we become? What is the potential in our gifts and talents? Will I study? Will I read a book? Will I get a mentor? Will I figure it out? Will I put some effort? Or we're just like, I'm gifted. Everybody should love me because I'm awesome. Or are we going to do something with our gifts? And then we're going to use them. And then five years later, we're going to get better and we're going to use them. And then ten years later, we're going to keep using our gifts and keep honing our skills and we're going to keep using them. We're going to... What would be the potential? What is the potential in you? The gifts and talents that God has given you before you got here today. If you thought to yourself, you know what? I need to step up in this area. God has given me this and I need to either go back to school or I need to figure some stuff out. I need to get better at the gifts and talents that God has given me. Come on, raise your hand. I got a tennis ball for you. All right, Ruth, stand up. This will be a long toss. Can your husband help you with this? He could try, okay? So you got to be ready for the deflection, my friend, all right? So here we go. Yes! This one says husband. So all wives go dormant right now. Your wife just, just went dormant, okay? Now I know you learned how to be a husband from your dad. And that was varying levels of goodness or terribleness based on your past. And, and whatever, if you had a really good dad like I do, and he showed you how to be a good husband, when you have a good dad, he's not like, okay, that's as max as you go. You need to learn how to be an even better husband. And then 10 years after that, you can even be a better husband. What potential could we have as husbands to figure out these beautiful creatures that God has given to us and how to love them. Lord, help us figure it out. Any husbands in the room? Or should I just keep this one, babe? What is our potential? Justin, here we go. Oh, sorry, you're not Justin. I thought you were Justin. Don't try to steal his ball, my friend. Here we go. Okay. Now, this, this one is a little bit funny because I wrote husband twice. It's a Freudian slip. So, but I crossed out husband and I put wife. Are there any wives in the room? Husbands, it's time to go dormant. What is your potential as a wife? Have you reached it? Or is there more grace for you to figure out how to be the maximum of a wife could be to your husband? Do we have any wives in the room that realize you have not reached your max capacity? All right. Lady in the pink there, you stand up. Here we go. 
Oh, uh, she you got it. She got it off the body. Well done. All right, we got two more. I got to represent. Second service. I have generous on this ball. Now, this obviously it has to do with giving in the context of the local church, but it's not just about that. It's becoming a generous individual because God has given us everything that we have. He has been so generous with us. So before you got here today, if you realize God was talking to you about becoming more and more of a generous individual, we haven't done anybody over in section. Do we have anybody in section one that realizes you've got more potential for your generosity? All right, stand up here on the aisle. You confident with the catching? No, don't come up. We're gonna we're gonna stretch it out. We're gonna stretch it out. Okay, here we go. Actually, maybe step up on the aisle. Just want to hit this lady in the head. Here we go. Oh, that was high. Oh, that was a bad toss. That was my fault. Full blame. This last one says serve. Jesus came to serve, to not to be served. So for all of us, this is true for everybody in the room. We all can be great because we can all serve. And serving works in every area of life. And we, what type of servant could we be? Well, we could be this, or we could step it up, or we could take it up a notch in our whole lives. And what type of impact could we make? What type of impact did Jesus make by being a servant of all? This should be a goal for all of us. Section one again, who realizes, oh, this is an easy throw, my friend. We can't mess this one up. Here we go. All right, awesome. A couple more scriptures and then we're done. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The purpose of the Lord for you is the thing that's going to matter in the end. And it's going to be the thing that you're going to be able to give to the following generation. That I walked in the purposes of God for my life. It is the thing that is going to stand. Ephesians chapter 3, last verse, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power that works within us. See, the bouncing of the ball, the potential that I have on the inside of is not just based on me. It's actually the Spirit of God on the inside of me. That He's doing more in my life and He wants to do more through my life. Anything that we can even ask or imagine. But we don't want to take the risk of being afraid. We don't want to take the risk of apathy, lethargy, laziness, do nothing, sitting outside the city till we die. Let's realize that God's spirit is on the inside of us. And he has placed all of this potential so that we can maximize who we are based on the plans of God for our lives. Let's just pray this morning. God, we're so thankful for your goodness today. We're so thankful, Lord. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.